it's amazing now if you watch uh, baseball before a batter walks up to the plate to take a swing. Um, he's gone through uh, hours of video on an iPad, hours of studying the pitcher and the moves that the pitcher makes and what kind of pitches he throws. And they're looking at statistics and they're looking at information and data. And because they know what the pitcher is trying to do against them, they are now better equipped to face that pitcher and experience success when they go to play, right? This is common sense. The same is true for our walk. If we are going to not let the enemy outsmart us, we have to study the enemy and know what his tricks are. It says, therefore, we are familiar with his what? With his evil schemes. So why do we forgive? Because it prevents us from allowing the enemy to do his work in us. You know how the enemy works. When we harbor unforgiveness, what do we do? We begin to talk about people. We dog them. We put them down behind their back. We gossip. We spread rumors. We cheer when they fail. Right? That's all the enemy's schemes. The enemy loves to see that kind of um, attitude towards our enemies. We shame the devil when we forgive those who hurt us. Right? We shame him. So what is Paul reminding us here? Uh, this, again, this is just a touch point. We're going to get to heaven's tent in a second. But it's so important that we understand that when we talk about the fragrance that we give off, it's built off this idea of being like Jesus and forgiving people, right? And what did Jesus do when he was on the cross? He looked at them. He said, Father, what? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know, what, they don't know who I am. They don't know who you are. Father, forgive them. We become more like Christ. That's discipleship. When we become like Jesus, then we point other people to become more like Jesus. And Paul, of all people, had experienced this amazing forgiveness of God. He was a killer of Christians. But yet he had been forgiven. So he now forgives others, these people who are trying to destroy the church that he planted. So what is Paul reminding us here is that forgiveness is for our own and for the benefit of others. We sometimes look at forgiveness and we just think, I'm letting this person off the hook. I cannot do that that, that easily. Uh, this is too much. We, we worry so much about the freedom that we're giving someone else that we lose sight that the person you're really freeing when you forgive is yourself. It's yourself. So you're freeing yourself from a scheme, a tactic, See why I didn't want to pass this part in chapter 2 over. It's so important, so important to us as believers that we understand that forgiveness is for us, but it's for others as well. It's for others as well. Um, in verse 12, let's go on to verse 12 here. Uh, here's another quick little thing, little nugget that Paul gives us before he starts talking about um, the sense of heaven, the, the perfume and the fragrance of heaven. In, in verse 12, this is what Paul says. He says, when I came to the city of Troas, um, it's a city that's in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, uh, Paul says, when I came to the city of Troas to preach the good news of Christ, the Lord opened a door of opportunity for me. Who opened up the door for Paul to go to Troas? The Lord opened up that opportunity. Right? This is a God-given opportunity. What Paul here is teaching us now is, is he's teaching us about looking at what God is doing, and we got to be aware of God. What are the doors that you're opening for us? This was a place to us where Paul really should have 
Is there anything better than the new 
very satisfying smell. And, and I don't know about you, but after about six months, the, the smell slowly started to move up. The smell started to go away, right? And now I was smelling more French fries and um, my son coming home from soccer practice and things like that. The new car smell was no longer there. It was no longer satisfying. So what did I do? I went shopping for a new car smell. And as I went to the car place and I smelled all the scents, I ran into a smell that was better. It's called the smell of success. And, and, and I bought that for my car. And I would race it with my car, but after a while, the smell would go away. It would go away. Uh, here's what we know about scents. Um, it's a major industry. People in this country specifically, I have some, some, some data here, over $20 billion a year is spent on fragrances just in the United States. I'm talking about deodorant, I'm talking about perfume, cologne, uh, the little sticking things that you put into your walls. We're obsessed with the way things smell, right? People want, generally, not everyone, I shouldn't generalize. Most people want someone or something that smells pleasant, right? That smells pleasant. And we go to great lengths um, to make sure that things smell good, right? That our cars smell good, that our houses smell good, that our bodies um, smell good, our breath smells good. We are consumed with that. We want to do well with that. We spend $20 billion a year fixed on smells. It's a big part of what we do and how we live. Now, here's what else we know. Every living thing will give off a smell, right? Every living thing gives off a smell. Now, literally, also symbolically, spiritually, you give off a smell. And here's the big idea uh, of what Paul is going to teach us here. What you're around usually is what you smell like. Have you ever been around a campfire or somebody who works, you know, in a, in a steel factory or someone who works in a restaurant or a bakery uh, and you get close to them and you sit next to them on the train or on the bus? smell what they've been around, right? I mean, it's clear, it's on them, it saturates them, because whatever you're around, that's the smell that you will usually emit. Now, there's another kind of smell that you emit, too, is whatever you intake is what you put out, right? Garbage in, garbage out, right? I once worked with a guy who was obsessed with garlic, and to him, garlic was something that was the healthiest thing you could eat. He would have shakes, he would have uh, smoothies just infused with garlic, and and when the uh, the infuser and the, the smoothie were not there, my friend still reeked with garlic because what he had put in him is what was his body was emitting, right? Is what his body was emitting. Um, I wonder today, what's your sense? What are you wearing? And I don't mean your cologne. I don't mean your perfume. I don't mean your deodorant. Uh, what's your spiritual? It's our complete surrender that gives life. 
Very bad. 
trying to live a life right in front of the Lord. That's the speaking from the Lord. Paul's talking about. Now, the second thing that Paul teaches us about this, this fragrance, this fragrance, is the surrendered life is what gives you the fragrance. But the aroma of God in your life will provoke different reactions. The aroma of God in your life will provoke different reactions. I find it strange that some people will go to a gas station and pump gas. Get a little bit on their hand. They'll come into the car and they'll be like, Shh. Any gas smell lovers here? Does it make anyone want, does it make anyone want to throw up? See, it's next. It's next, right? Some people walk into a place, they'll smell potpourri, and they say, oh, that smell smells so good. Other people smell potpourri, they begin to gag. It provokes a different response. This, this fragrance, this aroma of God that you carry with you is not going to be a sweet-smelling fragrance to everyone. To some people it will, to some people it will not. Listen to what Paul says here in verse 15. Verse 15, Paul says, Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. Your life is like a fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. Verse 16, to those who are perishing, now, Paul is not saying people laying in their deathbed, people who are like, you know, within hours or moments of their death. When Paul says the people who are perishing, these are people who are in straight rejection to God. People who are obstinate towards God, who say, I want nothing to do with God, I reject God. Don't talk to me about God. Most people don't know, but they're on the road to perishing, right? That's what Paul's talking about here. To those people, to the people who reject God, to the people who are far distant and obstinate and hard-hearted towards God, we are what? A dreadful smell. You smell like garbage to those people. Have you ever noticed maybe there's people that you work with, and maybe there's people even in your own family, they know you're living for God, they know that you're trying to be more like Jesus every day, that you're drawing close to Him, and when you get around them, what do they do to you? They kind of... You're repulsed by your fragrance. To them, they are a dreadful smell of death and doom. Now, what Paul is also saying there is to some people, your faith will be a reminder to them of how far they are from God. And we just had a team yesterday from another New Life location went out and evangelized the people on the street. And some of the people who were hearing the gospel for the first time. They were very resistant, and they were like, look, if, if this means I'm going to be judged for my sin, that means me going to hell, and so be it. If you produce a sweet smell to them, no, if anything, your words, your presence, they reminded them of what, of their impending doom. But for some people, they don't want time for that, that you're more concerned with my life 
Of others. I mean, when 
look at some people, especially over these last few years of the pandemic and social justice and, and the whole movement and politics, there have been Christians who have been quick to go around to say, I'm a Christian, smelly, and what they're producing is division and disgust and judgment and, and, and putting people down. And you know what? That is not a pleasing fragrance to God. So we need to be careful the fragrance that we give off. What scent are you wearing? Are you wearing heaven's scent today? What does the scent of heaven smell like? It smells like fruit. What fruit smell? It smells like patience. It smells like hope. It smells like love. It smells like forgiveness. It smells like kindness. It smells like faith. It smells like joy. smell provokes people. How are other people smelling you? What do they say when you walk past? It's interesting here that Paul ends verse 16 by saying, who's adequate to do this? I mean, who really qualifies to be God's fragrance carrier? How about you? What he's basically saying is, uh, humans, we stink all of us, all of us really qualified to carry this fragrance. In reality, none of us are because we all smell pretty bad. We take an honest look at ourselves and we're all stinky. So who is adequate? This is a rhetorical question. And Paul would go on to answer this question. And listen, there's some people here will say, how can I ever be this sweet fragrance for God? Do you know me? Do you know my past? Do you know some of the things I've done, some of the things I've said? We have treated people, we have hurt people, we have cheated on people. Some of the things I've been involved in, Paul is reminding us, and the explanation is going to come here in in chapter 3, Paul is reminding us that, look, none of us are adequately carrying this fragrance, okay? So, So don't think because I'm here on this step with this table and this TV behind me, but I'm more adequate to be the fragrance of God than you are. I am not. No pastor is not. No preacher is not. I don't care how many hundred of 
taking the last thing that Paul teaches us is that a watered-down spiritual life will lose the power of its life. A watered-down spiritual life loses the power of its sense. Saying, if you're going to smell well, you can't be watered down. Look what it says here in verse 17. He says, you see, we are not like the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. You see, there were many people in Corinth who were preaching a watered-down gospel. It wasn't what they were saying was completely wrong. It was just they were using the word in a way to benefit themselves personally, usually to make some money off of it. This is still happening today. And even in those days, there was what? There was many who were doing that. Just like today, there's many who are doing that. And and what would the hucksters do? You see, hucksters were were people who would take things like olive oil, they would take wine, and and they would get maybe half of a container of of olive oil, and they would fill the other half with water with some other ingredient to make it look like a full bottle. So they were giving you less, but they were profiting the same, right? Or they would water down their wine, or they would water down their so that way you would get less of the real deal that was less potent, that wine was less potent, it was less real, but yet they get all the profit for it. Interestingly enough, in the fragrance industry, this is happening. It happened to me. I bought a bottle of cologne that was called Light Blue from Dolce & Gabbana. I love the smell. I ordered it offline. I received the bottle, and in the picture, the bottle, the light blue was exactly that color, light blue. In the Bible that I received, the light blue was almost clear. Now, when I sprayed it, I would smell it for a moment, maybe a half hour or so. But after that, the scent was gone. What had happened to that cologne? It had been watered down. And because it had been watered down, it had lost its potency. It had lost its power. It was no longer long-lasting. Listen, if you're living a spiritual life that is watered spiritual life, that means you pick and choose scriptures to to, to fit the things that you agree with, and the things that you don't disagree with, you turn your back on the Bible. Thank you. A watered-down spirituality is is when you use your faith only for your advantage. So that means, hey, when my boss used to be not a Christian, I was their customer like everybody else, but the new boss is Christian, I'm going to be in the lunchroom reading my Bible. Watered-down spirituality, anything authentic, and you're watering yourself down. And when you do that, your sense, your aroma, the power of God in your life becomes what? It loses its power. It loses its power. And, and, and Paul is saying we're not going to be like those people. But we're going to preach the word with sincerity. With sincerity. That word sincerity, it comes from a Latin word that means seen, set up, without wax. Set up as wax, seen without, without wax. And, and what this means here is Paul was speaking of, of the potters who would make pottery. And in pottery in these days, um, if a pot was being formed and it was broken, it needed to be thrown away. Not to buy a broken pot, right? Or a piece of pottery that was broken. But some hucksters wanted to 
there's always hucksters, right? So hucksters, when they would break a pot, what they would do is they would use a little bit of wax and they would put the pot back together. And people would never know and they would sell the broken pot, right? That means that that pot was not authentic. Now, when you were going to buy a pot back in those days, what you would do is you would take the pot and you would hold it up to the sun. And looking at it through the sun, you'd be able to tell if there was any wax that was in there. It was called the sun test. That's the way you hold up the pot to the sun. And you say, oh, yeah, I see some wax in there, you poster. This is not a sincere pot. This is a crack pot. There's wax in there. I don't want to buy it. No power, there's no potency. It's not going to last long. Now, you were to buy a pot that was sincere, sincere, and hold it up to the sun, S-U-N. See, it had no cracks, it was a real deal, it was going to have power, it was going to last, and it was going to do its job because it was integrity, it was one of those together with the good. So Paul is saying, he's reminding to us, he's saying, your faith needs to pass the sun test. Not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. Your light needs to be held up against Jesus. And if he's saying, hey, there's cracks in your life, Instead of trying to plug the cracks in your life with wax, plug the cracks in your life with His grace, with His mercy, with His forgiveness and love. That's how you pass the sun test, pass the light test. Paul's saying, look, we're not going to water down this gospel. And can I be honest with you this morning? The gospel is offensive. You can live in the To many people, Tell them Jesus is the only way to God that is offensive. You tell them things like sex before marriage is sin before God, they will find that offensive. The gospel is offensive. And if you were going to be a person who is the fragrance to push the message of the gospel out to people, one thing you need to be prepared for is that people will find it offensive. So what do you do? To them. And you stay true to the sun test. And you say, Jesus said it, I'm going to speak it. Because all I'm trying to do is become more like him. So a watered down spiritual life will cause your scent to lose power. It will cause your scent to lose its power. So what scent do you have? Can we stand together? 